Hello? 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 Yes, this is MCO. Hello? This is MCO. Hello? Hello? This is another MCO and transmission. This is the Samanapala Sutta, the fruits of the homeless life. From the Diga Nikaya, the long discourses of the Buddha, Sutta number two, translated from the Pali by Maurice Walsh. Thus have I heard. Once the Buddha was staying at Rajgriha, in the Dr. Jivaka Kumarabaka's mango grove, together with a large company of some 1,250 monks. At that time, King Ajatasattu, Vediputta of Magadha, having gone up to the roof of his palace, was sitting there surrounded by his ministers on the fifteenth day fast day, the full moon of the fourth month, called Kamodi. And King Ajatasattu, on that fast day, gave vent to this solemn utterance. Delightful, friends, is this moonlight night. Charming is this moonlight night. Auspicious is this moonlight night. Can we not today visit some ascetic or Brahmin, to visit whom would bring peace to our heart? Then one minister said to King Ajatasattu, Sire, there is Purana Kashapa, who has many followers, a teacher of many, who is well known, renowned, the founder of a sect, highly honored by the multitude, of long standing, long since gone forth, aged and venerable. May your majesty visit this Purana Kashapa. He may well bring peace to your majesty's heart. At these words, King Ajatasattu was silent. Another minister said, Sire, there is Makali Gosala, who has many followers, a teacher of many who is well-known, renowned, the founder of a sect, highly honored by the multitude, of long-standing, long since gone forth, aged and venerable. May your majesty visit this Makali Gosala. He may well bring peace to your majesty's heart. At these words, King Ajatasattu was silent. Another minister said, Sire, there is Ajita Kesa Kambali, who has many followers, a teacher of many who is well known, renowned, the founder of a sect, highly honored by the multitude, of long standing, long since gone forth, aged and venerable. May your majesty visit this Ajita Kesa Kambali, he may well bring peace to your majesty's heart. At these words, King Ajatusattu was silent. Another minister said, Sire, there is Pakuda Kachayayana, who has many followers, a teacher of many who is well known, renowned, the founder of a sect, highly honored by the multitude, of long standing, long since gone forth, aged and venerable. May your majesty visit this Pakuda Kachayana. He may well bring peace to your majesty's heart. At these words, King Ajatusattu fell silent. Another minister said, Sire, there is Sanjaya Belathaputta, 
who has many followers, a teacher of many, who is well-known, renowned, the founder of a sect highly honored by the multitude, of long-standing, long-since-gone-forth, aged and venerable. May your majesty visit this Sanjaya Belathaputta. He may well bring peace to your majesty's heart. At these words, King Ajatasattu fell silent. Another minister said, Sire, there is the Niganthanataputta, who has many followers, a teacher of many, who is well-known, renowned, the founder of a sect, highly honored by the multitude of long-standing, long since gone forth, aged and venerable. May your majesty visit this Niganthanataputta. He may well bring peace to your majesty's heart. At these words, King Ajatasattu was silent. All this time, the doctor Jivaka Kumarabaka was sitting silently near King Ajatasattu. The king said to him, You, friend Jivaka, why are you silent? Sire, he said, there is this blessed lord, the Arahat, fully enlightened Buddha, staying in my mangrove grove with a large company of some 1,250 monks. And concerning the blessed Gotama, this fair report has been spread about. This blessed Lord is an arahat, a fully enlightened Buddha, endowed with wisdom and conduct, the well-farer, knower of the worlds, incomparable, trainer of men to be tamed, teacher of gods and humans, enlightened and blessed. May your majesty visit the blessed Lord. He may well bring peace to your majesty's heart. Well then, Jivaka, have the riding elephants made ready. Very good, sire, said Jivaka, and he had five hundred she-elephants made ready, and for the king, the royal tusker. Then he reported, Sire, the riding elephants are ready. Now is the time to do as your majesty wishes. And King Ajatusattu, having placed his wives each on one of the five hundred she-elephants, mounted the royal tusker and proceeded in royal state, accompanied by torch-bearers, from Rajgriha towards Jivaka's mango grove. And when King Ajatusattu came near the mango grove, he felt fear and terror, and his hair stood on end. And feeling this fear and the rising of the hairs, the king said to Jivaka, Friend Jivaka, you are not deceiving me, are you? You are not tricking me, are you? You are not delivering me up to an enemy, are you? How is it that from this great number of some 1,250 monks, not a sneeze, a cough, or even a shout is heard. Have no fear, your majesty. I would not deceive you or trick you or deliver you up to an enemy. Approach, sire, approach. There are the lights burning in the round pavilion ahead. And so King Ajatusattu, having ridden on his elephant as far as the ground would permit, alighted, and continued on foot 
to the door of the round pavilion. Then he said, Jivaka, where is the Buddha? That is the Buddha there, sire. That is the Lord sitting against the middle column with his order of monks in front of him. Then King Ajatasattu went up to the Lord and stood to one side. And standing there to one side, the king observed how the order of monks continued in silence, like a clear lake. And he exclaimed, If only my son, Prince Udayabadha, were possessed of such calm as this order of monks. Do your thoughts go to the one you love, your majesty, the Buddha said. Lord! Prince Udayabadha is very dear to me, if only he were possessed of the same calm as this order of monks. Then King Ajatasattu, having bowed down to the Lord and saluted the order of monks with joined hands, sat down to one side and said, Lord, I would ask something if the Lord would deign to answer me. Ask, Your Majesty. Anything you like. Lord, just as there are these various craftsmen in the world, such as elephant drivers and horse drivers, chariot fighters, archers, standard bearers, adjuncts, army caterers, champions and senior officers, scouts, heroes, brave fighters, cursors, slave sons, cooks, barbers, bathmen, bakers, garland makers, bleachers, weavers, basket makers, potters, calculators, and accountants, and whatever other skills there are in the world, they all enjoy, here and now, the visible, tangible fruits of their skills. They themselves are delighted and pleased with this, as are their parents, their children and colleagues and friends. They maintain and support ascetics and Brahmins, thus assuring for themselves a heavenly, happy reward, tending towards paradise. Can you, Lord, point to such a reward, visible here and now, as a fruit of the renunciant's life, as a fruit of the homeless life? Your Majesty, the Buddha said, do you admit that you have put this question to other ascetics and Brahmins? I admit I did, Lord. Would your majesty mind saying how they each replied? I do not mind telling the Lord or anyone like him. Well then, your majesty, tell me. Once, Lord, I went to see Paranakashapya. Having exchanged courtesies, I sat down to one side and said, Good Kashapya, just as there are these various craftsmen in the world, such as elephant drivers, horse drivers, chariot fighters, and so on, they all enjoy, here and now, the visible fruits of their skills. Can you, Kashapya, point to such a reward, visible here and now, as a fruit of the homeless life? At this Lord, Paranakashapya said, Your Majesty, by the doer or instigator of a thing, 
by one who cuts or causes to be cut, by one who burns or causes to be burnt, by one who causes grief and weariness, by one who agitates or causes agitation, who causes life to be taken or that which is not given to be taken, one who commits burglary, carries off booty, commits robbery, lies in ambush, commits adultery, and tells lies. No evil is done. If with a razor-sharp wheel one were to make of this earth one single massive heap of flesh, there would be no evil as a result of that. No evil would accrue. If one were to go along the south bank of the Ganges River killing, slaying, cutting or causing to be cut, burning or causing to be burnt, there would be no evil as a result of that. No evil would accrue. Or if were one to go along the north bank of the Ganges River, giving and giving and causing to be given, sacrificing and causing to be sacrificed, there would be no merit as a result of all of that, no merit would accrue. In giving, in self-control, abstinence, and telling the truth, there is no merit whatsoever. No merit accrues. Thus, Lord, Paranakashapya, on being asked about the present fruits of the homeless life, explained a theory of karmic non-action to me. Just as if on being asked about a mango tree, he were to describe a breadfruit tree, or on being asked about a breadfruit tree, he were to describe a mango tree, so Paranakashapya, on being asked about the present fruits of the homeless life, explained a theory of karmic non-action to me. And Lord, I thought, how should one like me think despitefully? of any ascetic or Brahmin dwelling in my territory. So I neither applauded nor rejected Puranakashapya's words, but, though displeased, not expressing my displeasure, saying nothing, rejecting and scorning speech, I got up and left. <coughs> then, your lord, once I visited Makali Goshala, and asked him the same question. Makali Gosala said, Your Majesty, there is no cause or condition for the defilement of beings. They are defiled without cause or condition. There is no cause or condition for the purification of beings. They are purified without cause or condition. There is no self-power. There is no other power. There is no power in humans, no strength or force, no vigor or exertion. All beings, all living beings, all creatures, all that lives is without control, without power or strength. They experience the fixed course of pleasure and pain through the six kinds of rebirth. There are 1,400,000 principal sorts of birth, and 6,000 others, and again 600. There are five hundred kinds of karma, or five kinds, or three kinds, or half a karma, sixty-two paths, sixty-two intermediary kalpas, six classes of humankind, 
eight classes of human progress, 4,900 occupations, 4,900 wanderers, 4,900 abodes of Nagas, 2,000 sentient existences, 3,000 hell realms, 36 places of dust, seven classes of rebirth as conscious beings, seven as unconscious beings, and seven as beings freed from bonds. Seven grades of devas, men, yakshas, seven lakes, seven great and small perturbances, seven great and seven small abysses, seven great and seven small dreams, eight million four hundred thousand kalpas during which fools and wise run around and circle around till they make an end of suffering. Therefore, there is no such thing as saying, by this discipline or practice or this austerity or this holy life, I will bring my unripened karma to fruition, or I will gradually make this ripened karma go away. Neither of these things is even possible, because pleasure and pain have been measured out with a measure limited by the round of birth and death, and there is neither increase nor decrease, neither excellence nor inferiority. Just as a ball of string, when thrown, runs on until it is completely unraveled, so it is that fools and wise men run on and circle around until they make an end of suffering. Thus, Lord, Makali Goshala, on being asked about the fruits of the homeless life, explained the purification of the round of birth and death to me, just as if on being asked about a mango, he were to describe a breadfruit tree, or on being asked about a breadfruit tree, he were to describe a mango. And so I neither applauded nor rejected Makali Goshala's words, but, though displeased, not expressing my displeasure, saying nothing, rejecting and scorning speech. I got up and left. Then once I visited Ajita Kesakambali and asked him the same question regarding the fruits of the homeless life. Ajita Kesakambali said, Your Majesty, there is nothing given, nothing bestowed. Nothing offered in sacrifice. There is no fruit or result of good or bad deeds. There is not this world or the next world. There is no mother, no father. There are no spontaneously arisen beings. There are in the world no ascetics or Brahmins who have attained, who have perfectly practiced, who proclaim this world and the next, having realized them by their own super-knowledge. This human being is composed of the four great elements, and when one dies, the earth part reverts back to earth, the water part reverts back to water, the fire part reverts back to fire, and the air part reverts back to air and the faculties pass away into nothingness. They accompany the dead man with four bearers, and the bier as a fifth. Their footsteps are heard as far as the cremation ground. There the bones whiten. The sacrifice ends in ashes. It is the idea of a fool to give this gift. To talk of those who preach a doctrine of survival is vain and false. Fools and the wise 
at the breaking up of the body are destroyed and perish. They do not exist after death. Thus, Lord, Ajita Kesakambali, on being asked about the fruits of the homeless life, explained the doctrine of nihilism to me, just as if on being asked about a mango tree, he were to describe a breadfruit tree, or on being asked about a breadfruit tree, he were to describe a mango. And so, Ajita Kesakambali, on being asked about the present fruits of the homeless life, explained the doctrine of nihilism to me. How should one like me think despitefully of any ascetic or Brahmin dwelling in my territory? So I neither applauded nor rejected Ajita Kesakambali, but though displeased, not expressing my displeasure, saying nothing, rejecting and scorning speech, I got up and left. Then once I visited Pakuta Kachayana and asked the very same question regarding the fruits of the homeless life. Pakuta Kachayana said, Your Majesty, these seven things are not made or of a kind to be made, uncreated, unproductive, barren, false, stable as a column. They do not shake, do not change, obstruct one another, nor are they able to cause one another pleasure, pain, or both. What are these seven things? The earth body, the water body, the fire body, the air body, pleasure, pain, and the life principle. These seven things are not made or of a kind to be made, uncreated, unproductive, barren, false, stable as a column. Thus there is neither slain nor slayer, neither hearer nor proclaimer, neither knower nor causer of knowing. And whoever cuts off a man's head with a sharp sword does not deprive anyone of life. He just inserts the blade in the intervening space between those seven bodies. Thus, Lord, Pakuda Kachyayana, on being asked about the fruits of the homeless life, <laughs> answered with something quite different. Just as if on being asked about a mango, he were to describe a breadfruit tree, or on being asked about a breadfruit tree, he were to describe a mango. And so, Pakuda Kachyayana, on being asked about the present fruits of the homeless life, explains something quite different. And Lord, I thought, how should one like me think despitefully of any ascetic or Brahmin dwelling in my territory? So I neither applauded nor rejected Pakuda Kachyayana's words, but, though displeased, not expressing my displeasure, saying nothing, rejecting and scorning speech, I got up and left. Then I visited the Nigantha Nataputta and asked him the same question regarding the fruits of the homeless life. The Nigantha Nataputta said, Your Majesty, here a Nigantha is bound by a fourfold restraint. What for? He is restricted by all restrictions, enclosed by all restrictions, cleared by all restrictions, and claimed by all restrictions. And as far as a Nigantha is bound by this fourfold restraint, thus the Nigantha is called self-perfected, self-controlled, self-established. 
Thus, Lord, the Niganthanataputta, on being asked about the fruits of the homeless life, explained the fourfold restraint to me. Just as if on being asked about a mango, he were to describe a breadfruit tree, or on being asked about a breadfruit tree, he were to describe a mango. So the Niganthanataputta, on being asked about the present fruits of the homeless life, explained to me the fourfold restraint. And Lord, I thought, how should one like me think despitefully of any ascetic or Brahmin dwelling in my territory? So I neither applauded nor rejected the Niganthanataputta's words, but, though displeased, not expressing my displeasure, saying nothing, rejecting and scorning speech, I got up and left. Then, once I visited Sanjaya Belthaputta and asked him the same question regarding the fruits of the homeless life. Sanjaya Belthaputta said, If you ask me, is there another world? If I thought so, I would say so. But I don't think so. I don't say it is so, and I don't say otherwise. I don't say it is not, and I don't not say it is not. If you were to ask me, isn't there another world? If I thought so, I would say so, but I don't think so. I don't say it is so, and I don't say otherwise. I don't say it is not, and I don't not say it is not. If you ask me, is there both this world and another world? If I thought so, I would say so, but I don't think so. I don't say it is so, and I don't say otherwise. I don't say it is not, and I don't not say it is not. If you were to ask, is there neither this world or the other world? If I thought so, I would say so, but I don't think so. I don't say it is so, and I don't say otherwise. I don't say it is not, and I don't not say it is not. If you ask, is there fruit and the result of good and bad deeds? Or there is not, or there is both. If I thought so, I would say so, but I don't think so. I don't say it is so, and I don't say otherwise. I don't say it is not, and I don't not say it is not. Thus Lord Sanjaya Belithaputta, on being asked about the fruits of the homeless life, replied by evasion. Just as if on being asked about a mango he were to describe a breadfruit tree, or on being asked about a breadfruit tree he were to describe a mango, so Sanjaya Belthaputta, on being asked about the present fruits of the homeless life, replied by evasion. And I thought, of all these ascetics and Brahmins, Sanjaya Belthaputta is the most stupid and confused. So I neither applauded nor rejected his words, but got up and left. And so, Lord, I now ask you, the blessed Lord, just as there are these various craftsmen, such as elephant drivers, horse drivers, chariot fighters, archers, standard bearers, adjuants, army caterers, champions and senior officers, scouts and heroes, brave fighters, corsairs, slave sons, cooks, barbers, bathmen, bakers, garland makers, bleachers, weavers, basket makers, potters, calculators, and accountants, who enjoy, here and now, 
the visible, tangible fruits of their skills. They themselves are delighted and pleased with this, as are their parents, children and colleagues and friends. They maintain and support ascetics and Brahmins, thus assuring for themselves a heavenly, happy reward, tending towards paradise. Can you, Lord, point to such a reward, visible and tangible, here and now, as a fruit of this homeless life? I can, Your Majesty. I will just ask a few questions in return, and you, sire, shall answer as you see fit. What do you think, sire? Suppose someone, a slave, a laborer, getting up before you and going to bed after you, willingly doing whatever has to be done, well-mannered, pleasant-spoken, working in your presence. And that person might think, it is strange, it is wonderful, the destiny and fruits of meritorious deeds. This King Ajatashatu Vedhibhutta of Magadha is a human. I, too, am a human. The king is addicted to and indulges in the five-fold sense pleasures, just like a god. Whereas I am a slave, a laborer, getting up before him and going to bed after him, willingly doing whatever has to be done, well-mannered, pleasant-spoken, working in his presence. I ought to do something meritorious. Suppose I were to shave off my hair, don yellow robes, and go forth from the household life into homelessness. And before long they do so, and having thus gone forth, they dwell, restrained in body, speech, and mind, satisfied with the minimum amount of food and clothing, content in solitude. And then, if people were to announce to you, King, Sire, you remember that slave who worked in your presence and who shaved off their hair and went forth into homelessness? They are living restrained in body, speech, and mind, satisfied with the minimum amount of food and clothing, content in solitude. Would you then say, that person must come back and be a slave and work for me like before? The king replied, No, indeed, Lord, for we should pay homage to that person. We should rise and invite them and press them to receive from us robes and food and lodging and medicines for sickness and requisites and make arrangements for their proper protection. Well then, what do you think, sire? Is that one fruit of the homeless life visible and tangible here and now? The king replied, Certainly, Lord. The Buddha said, Then that sire is the first such fruit of the homeless life. The king said, But Lord, could you show any other reward, visible and tangible here and now, as a fruit of the homeless life? I can, sire. I will just ask you a few questions in return, and you, sire, shall answer as you see fit. What do you think? Suppose there were someone, a farmer, 
a householder, in your service, the steward of an estate. They might think, It is strange, it is wonderful, the destiny and fruits of meritorious deeds. This King Ajatasattu is a human. I, too, am a human. The king is addicted to and indulges in the five-fold sense pleasures, just like a god. Whereas I am a farmer, a householder, in his service, the steward of an estate. I ought to do something meritorious. Suppose I were to shave off my hair, don yellow robes, and go forth from the household life into homelessness. And before long they do so. And, having thus gone forth, they might dwell, restrained in body, speech, and mind, satisfied with the minimum amount of food and clothing, content in solitude. And if people were to tell you all of this, would you then say that person must come back and be a steward as before? The king replied, No, indeed, Lord, for we should pay homage to that person. We should rise and invite them and press them to receive from us robes, food, lodging, medicines for sickness and requisites, and make arrangements for their proper protection. The Buddha said, What do you think, sire? Is that one fruit of the homeless life visible and tangible here and now? The king replied, Certainly, Lord. Well then, that, sire, is the second such fruit of the homeless life. The king replied, But, Lord, could you show me another reward? visible and tangible here and now as a fruit of the homeless life that is more excellent and perfect than these two? I can, sire. Please listen. Your majesty, pay proper attention, and I will speak. Yes, lord, said King Ajatasattu. And the lord went on. Your majesty, it happens that a Tathagata arises in the world, an Arahat, fully enlightened Buddha, endowed with wisdom and conduct, welfarer, knower of the worlds, incomparable trainer of men to be tamed, teacher of gods and humans, enlightened and blessed one. He, having realized it by his own super-knowledge, proclaims this world with its devas and maras, brahmas, its princes and people. He preaches the dharma, which is lovely in its beginning, lovely in its middle, lovely in its ending, in the spirit and in the letter, and displays the fully perfected and purified holy life. This dharma is heard by a householder, or the child of a householder, or one reborn in some family or another. Having heard this dharma, they gain faith in the Tathagata. Having gained this faith, they reflect thus. The household life is close and dusty. The homeless life is free as air. It's not easy living the household life to live the fully perfected holy life purified and polished like a conch shell. Suppose I were to shave off my hair, don yellow robes, and go forth 
from household life into homelessness. And after some time, they abandon their property, small or great. They leave their circle of relatives, small or great, shave off their hair, don yellow robes, and go forth into the homeless life. And having gone forth, they dwell restrained by the restraint of the rules, persisting in right behavior, seeing danger in the slightest faults, observing the commitments they have taken on regarding the body, regarding speech, and regarding mind, devoted to the skilled and purified life, perfected in morality, with the sense doors well guarded, skilled in mindful awareness, and content. And how, sire, is a renunciant perfected in morality? Abandoning the taking of life, they dwell, refraining from the taking of life, without stick or sword, scrupulous, compassionate, trembling for the welfare of all living beings. Thus they are accomplished in morality. Abandoning the taking of what is not given, they dwell, refraining from taking what is not given, living purely, accepting what is given, awaiting for what is given, without stealing. Abandoning unchastity, they live far from it, aloof from the village practice of sexuality. Abandoning false speech, they dwell refraining from false speech, a truth speaker, one to be relied upon, trustworthy, dependable, not a deceiver of the world. Abandoning malicious speech, they do not repeat there what they have heard here to the detriment of these, or repeat here what they have heard there to the detriment of those. Thus they are a reconciler of those at variance, and an encourager of those at one, rejoicing in peace, loving it, delighting in it, one who speaks up for peace. Abandoning harsh speech, they refrain from it. They speak whatever is blameless, pleasing to the ear, agreeable, reaching the heart, urbane, pleasing and attractive to the multitude. Abandoning idle chatter, they speak at the right time, what is correct and to the point. They are a speaker whose words are to be treasured, seasonable, reasoned, well-defined, and connected with the goal. They refrain from damaging seeds and crops. They eat once a day and not at night, refraining from eating at improper times. They avoid watching dancing, singing, music, and shows. They abstain from using garlands, perfumes, cosmetics, ornaments, and adornments. They avoid using high or wide beds. They avoid accepting gold and silver. They avoid accepting raw grain or raw flesh. They do not accept women or young girls, male or female slaves, sheep and goats, cocks and pigs, elephants, cattle, horses and mares, fields or plots of land. They refrain from running errands, from buying and selling, from cheating with false weights and measures, from bribery and corruption, deception and insincerity, from wounding, killing, imprisoning, highway robbery, and taking food by force. A renunciant refrains from such base arts and wrong means of livelihood. Thus they are perfected in morality. And then, sire, 
That renunciant who is perfected in morality sees no danger from any side owing to their being restrained by morality. Just as a duly anointed Kshatriya king, having conquered their enemies by that very fact, sees no danger from any side, so too a renunciant, on account of their morality, sees no danger anywhere. They experience in themselves the blameless bliss that comes from maintaining the Aryan morality. In this way, sire, they are perfected in morality. And how, sire, is a renunciant a guardian of the sense doors? Here a renunciant, on seeing a visible object with the eye, does not grasp at its major characteristics or its secondary characteristics. Because greed and sorrow, evil, unskilled states, would overwhelm them if they dwelt leaving the eye faculty unguarded, so they practice guarding it. They protect the eye faculty, develop restraint of the eye faculty. On hearing a sound with the ear, they do not grasp at its major characteristics or secondary characteristics. On smelling an odor with the nose, they do not grasp at its major characteristics or secondary characteristics. On tasting a flavor with the tongue, they do not grasp at its major characteristics or secondary characteristics. On feeling an object with the body, they do not grasp at its major characteristics or secondary characteristics. On thinking a thought with the mind, they do not grasp at its major characteristics or secondary char characteristics. Because greed and sorrow and evil unskilled states would overwhelm them if they dwelt, leaving the sense doors unguarded. So he practices guarding them and develops restraint of the faculties. They experience within themselves the blameless bliss that comes from maintaining this Aryan guarding of the sense doors. In this way, sire, a renunciant is a guardian of the sense doors. And how, sire, is a renunciant accomplished in mindfulness and clear awareness? Here a renunciant acts with clear awareness in going forth, in coming back, in looking ahead or looking behind, in bending and stretching, in wearing their outer and inner robe, in carrying their bowl, in eating, drinking, chewing, and swallowing, in evacuating and urinating, in walking, standing, sitting, lying down, in waking, in speaking, and in keeping silent, they act with clear awareness. In this way, a renunciant is accomplished in mindfulness and clear awareness. And how is a renunciant contented? Here, a renunciant is satisfied with a robe to protect their body, with alms food to satisfy their stomach, and having accepted sufficient, they go on their way. Just as a bird with wings flies hither and thither, burdened by nothing but its wings, so the renunciant is satisfied. In this way, sire, a renunciant is contented. Then the renunciant, equipped with this Aryan morality, with this Aryan restraint of the sense doors, 
with this Aryan contentment, finds a solitary lodging at the root of a forest tree, in a mountain cave or a gorge, a charnel ground or jungle thicket, or in the open air on a heap of straw. Then, having eaten, after their return from their alms round, they sit down cross-legged, holding the body erect, and concentrate on keeping mindfulness established before them. Abandoning worldly desires, they dwell with a mind freed from worldly desires, and their mind is purified of them. Abandoning ill will and hatred, they dwell with a mind freed from ill will and hatred, and by compassionate love for the welfare of all living beings, their mind is purified of ill will and hatred. Abandoning sloth and torpor, they dwell with a mind freed of sloth and torpor, perceiving light, mindful, and clearly aware their mind is purified of sloth and torpor. Abandoning restlessness and worry, they dwell with a mind freed of restlessness and worry, and with an inwardly calmed mind, their heart is purified of restlessness and worry. Abandoning doubt, they dwell with doubt left behind, without uncertainty as to what things are wholesome, their mind is purified of doubt. Just as a man who had taken a loan to develop his business, and whose business had prospered, might pay off his old debts, and with what was left over they could support a family. And they might think, Before this I developed my business by borrowing, but now it has prospered. And they would rejoice and be glad about that. Just as a man who was ill, suffering, terribly sick, with no appetite and weak in body, might, after a time, recover and regain their appetite and bodily strength. And they might think, Before this I was ill, but now I have regained my appetite and bodily strength. And they would rejoice and be glad about that. Just as a man might be bound in prison, and after a time he might be freed from his bonds, without any loss, with no deduction from their possessions. And they might think, Before this I was in prison, but now I am freed. And they would rejoice and be glad about that. Just as a man might be a slave, not their own master, dependent upon another, unable to go where they liked, and after some time they might be freed from slavery, able to go where they liked, and they might think, before this, I was a slave, not my own master, dependent upon another. But now I am free, and they would rejoice and be glad about that. Just as a man laden with goods and wealth might go on a long journey through the desert where food was scarce and danger abounded, and after a time they would get through the desert and arrive safe and sound at the edge of a village, and they might think, before this, I was in danger. Now I am safe at the edge of a village, and they would rejoice and be glad about that. As long, sire, as a renunciant does not perceive 
the disappearance of those five hindrances in themselves, worldly desire, ill will and hatred, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry and doubt. He feels as if he is in debt, in sickness, in bonds, in slavery, or on a long desert journey. But when they perceive the disappearance of the five hindrances in themselves, it is as if they were freed from debt, from illness, from bonds, from slavery, from the perils of the desert. And when they know that these five hindrances have left, gladness arises. From gladness comes delight. From the delight in their mind, their body is tranquil. With a tranquil body, they feel joy. And with joy, the mind is concentrated. Being thus detached from sensual desires, detached from unwholesome states, they enter and remain in the first jhana, which is with thinking and pondering, born of detachment, filled with delight and joy. And with this delight and joy, born of detachment, they so suffuse, drench, fill, and irradiate the entire body that there is no spot in the entire body that is untouched by this delight and joy, born of detachment. Just as a skilled bathman or his assistant, kneading the soap powder which he has sprinkled with water, forms from it, in a metal dish, a soft lump, so that the ball of soap powder becomes one gelatinous mass, bound with oil so that nothing escapes, so this renunciant suffuses drenches, fills, and irradiates the body so that no spot remains untouched. This, sire, is a fruit of the homeless life, visible and tangible here and now, that is more excellent and perfect than the former ones. Again, a renunciant, with the subsiding of thinking and pondering, by gaining inner tranquility and oneness of mind, enters and remains in the second jhana, which is without thinking and pondering, born of concentration, filled with delight and joy. And with this delight and joy, born of concentration, they so suffuse the body that no spot remains untouched. Just as a lake fed by a spring with no inflow from the east, west, north, or south, where the rain god sends moderate showers from time to time, the water welling up from below, mingling with the cool water, would suffuse, fill, and irradiate that cool water, so that no part of the pool was untouched by it. So, too, with this delight and joy, born of concentration, the renunciant so suffuses their body that no spot remains untouched. This sire is a fruit more excellent and perfect than the former ones. Again, a renunciant with the fading away of delight remains imperturbable, mindful, 
and clearly aware, and experiences in themselves that joy of which the noble ones say, happy is the one who dwells with equanimity and mindfulness, and they enter and remain in the third jhana. And with this joy devoid of delight, they so suffuse their body that no spot remains untouched. Just as if in a pond of blue, red or white lotuses, in which the flowers born in the water, grown in the water, not growing out of the water, are fed from the water's depths, those blue, red, and white lotuses would be suffused with the cool water. So with this joy devoid of delight, the renunciant so suffuses their body that no spot remains untouched. This is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. Again, a renunciant, having given up pleasure and pain, and with the disappearance of former gladness and sadness, enters and remains in the fourth jhana, which is beyond pleasure and pain, and purified by equanimity and mindfulness. The renunciant sits, suffusing their body with that mental purity and clarification so that no part of the body is untouched by it. Just as if a man were to sit wrapped from head to foot in a white garment so that no part of them was untouched by that garment, so their body is suffused. This is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And so, with mind concentrated, purified and cleansed, unblemished, free from impurities, malleable, workable, established, and having gained imperturbability, they direct and incline their mind towards knowing and seeing. And they know, this my body is material, made up from the four great elements, born of mother and father, fed on rice and gruel, impermanent, liable to be injured and abraded, broken and destroyed. And this is my consciousness, which is bound to it and dependent upon it. It's just as if there were a gem, an emerald, pure, excellent, well cut into eight facets, clear, bright, unflawed, perfect in every respect, strung on a blue, yellow, red, white, or orange cord. A person with good eyesight, taking it in their hand and inspecting it, would describe it as such. In the same way, sire, a renunciant, with mind concentrated, purified, and cleansed, directs their mind toward knowing and seeing, and they know, this my body is material, made up of the four great elements, and this is my consciousness, which is bound to it and dependent upon it. 
This is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And the renunciant, with mind concentrated, having gained imperturbability, applies and directs their mind to the production of a mind-made body. And out of this body, they produce yet another body having form, mind-made, complete in all of its limbs and sense faculties. It is just as if a man were to draw out a reed from its sheath. They might think, this is the reed, this is the sheath. Reed and sheath are different. Now the reed has been pulled from the sheath. Or, as if a man were to draw a sword from the scabbard, he might think, this is the sword, this is the scabbard. Sword and scabbard are different. Now the sword has been drawn from the scabbard. Or, as if a man were to draw a snake from its old skin, he might think, this is the snake, this is the skin. Snake and skin are different. Now the snake has been drawn from the skin. In the same way, a renunciant with mind concentrated, purified and cleansed, unblemished, free from impurities, malleable, workable, established, and having gained imperturbability, applies and directs their mind to the production of a mind-made body. They draw that body out of this body, having form, mind-made, complete with all its limbs and sense faculties. This is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And the renunciant, with mind concentrated, applies and directs the mind to the various supernormal powers. They then enjoy different powers. Being one, they become many. Being many, they become one. They appear and disappear. They pass through fences, walls, and mountains, unhindered as if through air. They sink into the ground and emerge from it as if it were water. They walk on water without breaking the surface as if it were land. They fly cross-legged through the sky like a bird with wings. Even touching and stroking with their hand the sun and moon, mighty and powerful as they are. And they travel in the body as far as the Brahma world. Just as a skilled potter or their assistant can make from the well-prepared clay whatever kind of bowl they like, or just as a skilled ivory carver or their assistant can produce from well-prepared ivory any object that they like, or just as a skilled goldsmith or their assistant can make any gold article they like, so the renunciant, with mind concentrated, enjoys various supernormal powers. This 
is a fruit of the homeless life more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And the renunciant, with mind concentrated, applies and directs their mind to the divine ear. With the divine ear, purified and surpassing that of a human being, hears sounds both divine and human, whether far or near. Just as a man going on a long journey might hear the sound of a big drum, a small drum, a conch, cymbals, or a kettle drum, and they might think, that's a big drum, that's a small drum, a conch, cymbals, or a kettle drum, so the renunciant with mind concentrated hears sounds, divine or human, far or near. This is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And the renunciant, with mind concentrated, applies and directs their mind to the knowledge of others' minds. They know and distinguish with their mind the minds of other beings or other persons. They know the mind with passion to be a mind with passion. They know the mind without passion to be a mind without passion. They know the mind with hate to be a mind with hate. They know the mind without hate to be without hate. They know a deluded mind to be deluded. They know the undiluted mind to be undiluted. They know a narrow mind to be narrow. They know a broad mind to be broad. They know the expanded mind to be expanded. They know the unexpanded mind to be unexpanded. They know the surpassed mind to be surpassed. They know the unsurpassed mind to be unsurpassed. They know a concentrated mind to be concentrated. They know an unconcentrated mind to be unconcentrated. They know a liberated mind to be liberated, and they know an unliberated mind to be unliberated. Just as a woman or a man or a young boy or a young girl, fond of their appearance, might examine their face in a brightly polished mirror or in the surface of water, and by examination would know whether there was a spot there or a spot here. So too the renunciant, with mind concentrated, directs their mind to the knowledge of others' minds. And this is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And the renunciant, with mind concentrated, applies and directs their mind to the knowledge of previous existences. They remember many previous existences, one birth, two, three, four, or five births, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty births, a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand births, several periods of contraction, several periods of expansion, several periods of both contraction and expansion. They know, there my name was so-and-so, my family was so-and-so, my food was such-and-such, such. I experienced such-and-such such pleasant and painful conditions, I lived for so long, and having passed away from there, I arose there, 
and there my name was so-and-so, and so on, and having passed away from there, I arose here. Thus the renunciant remembers various past births, their conditions, and their details. It is just as if a man were to go from their village to another village, from that to yet another village, and thence return to their home village. And they might think, I came from my own village to that other village where I stood, sat, spoke, or remained silent. And from that one I went to another one where I stood, sat, spoke, or remained silent, like this. And from there I have just returned to my own village. Just so, the renunciant with mind concentrated remembers past births. This is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And the renunciant, with mind concentrated, applies and directs their mind to the knowledge of the passing away and arising of being. With the divine eye purified and surpassing that of humans, they see beings passing away and arising, base and noble, well-favored and ill-favored, to happy and unhappy destinations as their karma directs them. And they know, these beings, on account of misconduct of body, speech, and mind, or disparaging the noble ones, have wrong view and will suffer the karmic fate of that wrong view. At the breaking up the of the body after death, they are, are reborn in a lower world, a bad destination, a state of suffering, hell. But these beings, on account of good conduct of body, speech, and mind, or praising the noble ones, have right view, and will reap the karmic reward of that right view. At the breaking up of the body, after death, they are reborn in a good destination, a heavenly world. Thus with the divine eye, the renunciant sees beings passing away and re-arising. It is just as if there were a lofty building at a crossroads, and a man with good eyesight standing there might see people entering or leaving a house, walking in the street or sitting in the middle of the crossroads. And they might think, these people are entering a house, those people are walking in the street, and those people are sitting in the middle of the crossroads. Just so, with the divine eye, the renunciant sees beings passing away and re-arising. And this is a fruit of the homeless life, more excellent and perfect than the former ones. And the renunciant, with mind concentrated, purified and cleansed, unblemished, free from impurities, malleable, workable, established, and having gained imperturbability, applies and directs their mind to the knowledge of the destruction of the defilements. They know, as it really is, this is suffering. They know, as it really is, this is the origin of suffering. They know, as it really is, this is the cessation of suffering. And they know, as it really is, 
This is the path leading to the cessation of suffering. And they know, as it really is, these are the defilements. This is the origin of the defilements. This is the cessation of the defilements. This is the path leading to the cessation of the defilements. And through their knowing and seeing, the mind is delivered from the defilement of sensual desire, from the defilement of becoming, from the defilement of ignorance, and the knowledge arises in them. This is deliverance, and they know. Birth is finished. The holy life has been led. Done is what had to be done. There is nothing further here. Just as if, sire, in the midst of the mountains there were a pond, clear as a polished mirror, where someone with good eyesight standing on the bank nearby could see oyster shells, gravel banks, and schools of fish, on the move or stationary, and they might think, this pond is clear as a polished mirror. There are the oyster shells, there are schools of fish. And just so, with mind concentrated, the renunciant knows, birth is finished, the holy life has been led, done is what had to be done, there is nothing further here. And this sire is a fruit of the homeless life, visible and tangible, here and now, which is more excellent and perfect than the previous fruits. And sire, there is no fruit of the homeless life, visible and tangible here and now, that is more excellent and perfect than this. At this, King Ajatasattu exclaimed, Excellent, Lord, excellent! It's as if someone were to have set up what was knocked down, or to point out the way to one who had gotten lost, or to bring an oil lamp into a dark place, so that those with eyes could see what was there to be seen. Just so, the Blessed Lord has expounded the Dharma in various ways. And I, Lord, go for refuge to the Blessed Buddha, to the Dharma, and to the Sangha. May the Blessed Buddha accept me from this day forth as a lay follower, as long as life shall last. Transgression overcame me, Lord, foolish, erring, and wicked as I was. In that, I, for the sake of the throne, deprived my father, that good man and just king, of his life. May the blessed Lord accept my confession of my evil deed, that I may restrain myself in the future. Indeed, sire. Transgression overcame you when you deprived your father, that good man and just king of his life. But since you have acknowledged the transgression and confessed it as is right, we will accept it. For he who acknowledges his transgression as such and confesses it for the betterment of the future will grow in the Aryan discipline. At this, King Ajatasattu said, Lord, 
permit me to depart now. I am busy and have much to do. The Buddha said, Do now, your majesty, as you think fit. Then King Ajatasattu, rejoicing and delighting in these words, rose from his seat, saluted the Lord, and departed with his right side, turned towards the Buddha. As soon as the king had gone, the Buddha said, The king is done for. His fate is sealed. But if the king had not deprived his father, that good man and just king of his life, then as he sat here, the pure and spotless Dharma eye would have arisen in him. Thus the Buddha spoke, and the renunciants delighted, rejoiced at his words.